This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back to the Establish the Past podcast. This is officially the overreaction episode. Um, <laughs> I am your host, Blake Lovell, with me, my co-host, Dylan Reagan. And Dylan, we are going to de- deem this the, the overreaction episode because, man, after the first Sunday, we know how it goes. There's always overreactions to everything that happens. Uh, some turn out to be warranted, I guess, but others... Uh, again, it's one game of a 16-game season. We don't want to go too far in the opposite direction, but uh, lots of interesting stuff there uh, on the first Sunday of the 2019 season, Dylan. I think it's important to remember last year, four non-playoff teams, I believe it was, beat what ended up being playoff teams. The one that stands out the most was Ryan Fitzpatrick's 400, 500-yard show against the Saints and an absolute blowout. So, yeah, there's things you can learn for sure. It's still, you know, games that matter with teams actually putting their best out there, putting their best schemes and things like that. But it also, at the same time, uh, it's still week one. A lot of these guys didn't play in the preseason. Not everyone's going to have rust from the uh, not doing that. But overall, I think it's something that, you know, by the end of the year, we have a game like the Bengals and Seahawks. We'll get to that, where the Bengals honestly could have won that game very easily. But do we think at the end of the year they're going to have a better record than Seattle? probably not so there's a lot to learn but there's also some things we can hopefully flush out here yeah we'll go through some of these games we won't spend a lot of time on each of these games or anything like we do for the pick so we'll just kind of run through our biggest takeaways from the week just in really a random order because there was so much to digest from uh, the first Sunday and there was just you know again when you think about it like you said it's it's a week where somehow I mean you're still kind of getting guys on the same page and there are still things you're working out and that was certainly the case for the Packers and the Bears uh, and Thursday night game. We won't spend really any time on that one. Uh, we'll let that one just kind of continue to sit. It doesn't feel like one after uh, there was some high-scoring games on Sunday. I don't think a lot of people are going to be going back and watching the 10-3 game between the Packers and the Bears from last Thursday. Uh, Bears got the win there. We were both wrong on that one, but you know what? Uh, I, I don't really care because that was a game <laughs> that's uh, will probably look a little bit better uh, the next time those two teams play uh, because that one was not uh, exactly pretty. But, Dylan, you mentioned Ryan Fitzpatrick last season, and, and I think it's it's a nice segue into starting with a team that Ryan Fitzpatrick played against this season and that is of course the Ravens and the Dolphins um we went into this expecting the Dolphins to be the worst team in the NFL the Dolphins are officially the worst team in the NFL um but I, I guess every, the question everyone's asking is is Lamar Jackson who who throws for five touchdowns 
The Ravens put up a franchise record 59 points in that game on the road, by the way. I don't care how bad the Dolphins are. Putting up 59 points, winning by seven touchdowns on the road in the NFL is not exactly a common sight. Um, Look, neither of us picked the Ravens to win the division. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to win the division at this point. We'll talk more about the teams that they're competing against. Uh, But certainly, I guess it looks a little bit better. What do you think? Do do we look at this and really? I, I think the best way to approach this is is this way. You you consider how good the Ravens looked and how much potential they have with Lamar Jackson in an improved passing game, uh, or do we just say, you know what, the Dolphins are literally one of the worst teams we've seen in a while in the NFL, and maybe we contributed more to that. Maybe it's a little bit of both, but you have to be impressed with what the Ravens did. Yeah, I think, it, like you said, it's a little bit of both, but that doesn't take away completely from what Baltimore did. I mean, the, what do we want You know, a good team to do against a bad team? We want them to beat the crap out of them, and that's right. exactly what Baltimore did. You can see, you can still take away a lot from these kind of games. Even, yeah, we can say Miami is absolutely rebuilding. They have you know these reports of guys now, uh, 10, dozen, whatever, trying to get traded from the team because they know it's going to be absolutely terrible. So, uh, But, yeah, for Baltimore... I, you know, am very impressed with what Lamar Jackson was able to do. I know we we mentioned him as a fantasy must play, so we're ab- absolutely the the smartest people in fantasy football now. <laughs> um, no, no, but obviously didn't expect him to do what he did. But nonetheless, it was impressive to see Baltimore's scheme. Or, you know, you have Marquise Brown able to take the top off the defense and still kind of keep things opened up in their running game. Mark Ingram still had a big day. And I, I think Baltimore, yeah, we'll, we'll see what they're really made of over the course of the year. But nonetheless, I mean, this is what – there's going to be games where Miami, as bad as they are, they're going to stick around with some teams, and those teams maybe will have bigger questions about. Baltimore, I, you know, we knew they were going to be good, and we talked about them as a, a playoff contender, even though we both left them out of our playoff <laughs> picks. Um, but, yeah, definitely had the, the best showing week one. We'll see what they're able to do moving forward. But I think just overall for what their offense is capable of, if Lamar Jackson can kind of hit those throws down the field, doesn't have to be exactly perfect because there's a lot of times where Marquise Brown's speed just going to let him throw the ball out there. But nonetheless, it was uh, it was fun to watch and uh, absolute demolition. It was <laughs> easily, you know, one of the games that uh, made a lot of appearances on uh, red zone, at least in the first half. Second half, not so much because it was pretty much over at halftime. Yeah, how often do we see three Ravens players in the top 20 in standard leagues and top 20 in scoring? And you saw that yesterday uh, with Lamar Jackson, uh, Marquise Brown, who we'll get to later on, um, and Mark Ingram. I mean, they they all had huge games. And listen, I mean, hey, if the the Ravens play the Dolphins all 16 weeks, they're definitely going to the playoffs because (laughs) um, it's just what a performance. And, And again, for me, just knowing that they did it on the road in week one, which is a week where there are a lot of unknowns, that just makes it even more impressive. Um, so certainly the, the Ravens a team to keep an eye on here moving forward. Uh, the Dolphins are as well, because if you're a team that uh, is playing against the Dolphins, especially if we, we turn this to the fantasy twist, anybody that plays against the Dolphins, their offensive guys are must plays, like period. I don't even know if we even need to even spend time on that anymore. Just know that if there's a team playing against the Dolphins, uh, their offensive guys are must plays, period. Um, and I don't really have any doubts about that, I guess. So, no, absolutely um, not. Yeah, and so that's just where the Dolphins are at now, and uh, we'll see how they improve moving forward, um, but I don't know. I think it's going to be a situation where they've just got a lot of work to do and it's the the kind of work that isn't going to be done uh, in one week because next week they host the new england patriots 
Um, good so, luck. <laughs> good luck to that one because we will talk about the Patriots. And you know what? Let's just go ahead and talk about the Patriots, Dylan, because yeah. uh, even though it was the, the Sunday night game, I mean, hey, that that was another kind of beating that that I don't know that we necessarily expected. Uh, when you see the way that game turned out, with uh, the Patriots just simply dominated the game from start to finish in a thirty-point win at home against the Steelers. Um, there's a lot of takeaways here. The, the obvious one is that the Patriots' offense is still in great shape even without Gronk. Oh, and by the way, the Patriots since the last time we recorded this podcast. <laughs> have now signed Antonio Brown. (laughs) So um, I don't – I mean, this is sort of, for me, Dylan, this is flashing back to – remember that season where the Patriots just completely ran it up on everyone and they were beating everyone just unmercifully? Mm -hmm. I I mean, look, if Antonio Brown is is the good Antonio Brown, which I'm not saying he's going to completely flip to what he was with the Raiders, but you know what? Belichick's not going to put up with his nonsense, and so if he gets out on the field and he's able to produce even close to the manner that he's produced in recent years, I do not know how anyone is going to stop the Patriots. We could see them beat people by 20-plus points. Um, Not every week. There will be tougher matchups, of course, especially on the road, but my goodness, they are in really good shape, I think, right now. They're such a complete team. It has to be frightening. Yeah, you're throwing in AB. I think out of all the teams, the one with the organization and the structure kind of to make it work had to be New England. I know a lot of people were joking about that when he got released by the Raiders that he'd end up there, but it actually did make the most sense for a, a, you know for a team that could actually take him on and take all those things that go along with it. Yeah, I mean, going into the game, we talked about their defense being elite and setting the tone this year, and then the offense being able to exploit uh, the Steelers' shaky secondary. I think we saw both of those things completely play out. It, uh, we'll get to the Steelers in a sec, but yeah, Pittsburgh's uh, defense, you know, they've last year when they played New England, they were able to kind of keep them, I think, the 14 points, 10 or 14 points, and uh, but that was kind of an outlier of what we've seen in the last five, six years. It seems like every single time New England's able to exploit some of the things they do with their matchups in the secondary, and that's with a much weaker uh, receiving corps than we've had, they have now. And we saw Josh Gordon, who looked better if not at least where he was before his suspension last year uh, when he got left off the Patriots and then everything else they have going for them their offensive lines as complete as there is in the NFL they did not miss a beat with Trent Brown gone with Isaiah Wynn filling in perfectly at left tackle was absolutely phenomenal and then yeah their defense I think that's the one thing though that separates them when I when I think about the best teams in the NFL with all due respect to the Chiefs the Saints whoever we want to say and the Eagles, who I you know have winning the Super Bowl, I think no team right now. I mean, it's one week again, but the Patriots' defense is so solid from top to bottom. I mean, they, they didn't have Kyle Van Noy potentially their playoff uh, MVP really last year for this game after having a child, and they they didn't miss a beat at all. Their defensive line is great. They're they're fundamentally sound, but their secondary is probably the best in the NFL, if not the best. It's one of the top three. They, I mean, Pittsburgh. Yeah, we can get to them again. I'll let we'll talk about them in a sec. But New England's what they have on the back end, it's it's perfectly fit for the modern NFL and what teams want to do throwing the ball. So I think for what top to bottom, and then you add Tom Brady and Belichick. That's not even we're not even ta- I didn't even mention those names until the end of my <laughs> rant about how great the Patriots are. You add that all in, and this is a team that as good as they were last year, they won the Super Bowl. Obviously, they made the last three Super Bowls. They. They honestly might be, this might be the best version we've seen since, you know, going back to that uh, undefeated team. All right. I'm going to ask you this, Dylan. I'm putting you on the spot here. I want you to, to tell me the answer to this. Here's the Patriots' upcoming schedule they're at the Dolphins, 
They're at home against the Jets. They're at the Bills. They're at the Redskins. They're at home against the Giants. They're at the Jets. They're at home against the Browns. That's their first eight games. Who of that group is going to beat the Patriots? <laughs> I, would I mean, not, honestly. <laughs> I would not pick any of those teams, too. I mean, you could see something where, I, you know, it always it feels like every year there's like one of their division rivals exactly. finds a way to, yep. to win a game at home or even in New England in a funky way where everything's just not clicking for the Pats. But I... <laughs> I would not bet on that and from what you know we'll get to the Browns in a bit but uh, what we saw from them they're gonna have a lot to improve upon before week eight or week nine whenever that matchup is um to uh possibly compete I, I would say they're in pretty good shape we I mean we talked about them having the easiest schedule in the NFL and I think that kind of that shows you exactly why when you read off those names great chance to go eight no after that they're at the ravens they're at the eagles and then at home against the cowboys so those next three Mm -hmm. after that stretch there certainly the browns could get a lot better make things interesting uh in that matchup but yeah you're not going to see the patriots as underdogs in any of those games they play probably in the first eight games of the season it's just not going to happen based on how they've looked thus far and certainly now with adding antonio brown but quickly we'll touch on the steelers i told you this before we started recording uh, the Steelers, as good as the Patriots are, it is as obvious as can be that the Steelers are not the Steelers in terms of their offensive potential uh, without Antonio Brown. And, you know, people can like that, not like it. It just, it was obvious. It was, again, even though you're going against such a great secondary that the Patriots have, there's just something that's obviously missing with the Steelers' offense. And,. I don't know how quickly they find it. They're going to have to find it pretty quickly. Um, but they are starting to pretty much understand, I think, at this point, that there are just things that they're not going to be able to do mm-hmm. uh, without Antonio Brown on the field, and that could limit what they're able to do offensively. They absolutely lack the explosiveness that we've seen in the past. And we've seen them, you know, last season, you know, they didn't have Le'Veon Bell. They, they did have AB until week 17. But they still were able to do things successfully in offense and still make plays. But in this game, it, it felt like the Patriots' defense, as as good as they are, it felt like they were just chilling. It felt like they were just sitting there like, yeah, you can have four yards. You can take this little play here and there, but we're going to get a key sack here. We're going to get a key a tackle for loss, and you're not going to be able to do anything uh, over the course of the game. You're not going to be able to continually move the ball on us. And, yeah, the Steelers could have put up more than three points, sure, but – uh, they they have a lot of questions on the offense that I didn't anticipate quite as much. I mean, James Washington had one nice catch down the sideline. He really needs to probably step up if they're going to be able to take some pressure off Juju. I think Juju still can have a big year, as I've mentioned, but uh, Stephon Gilmore did give him fits. He, he won a few battles here and there, but not enough over the course of the game to really make a big impact. And for me, though, the Steelers' defense is like – you know no matter what the Steelers offense can end up becoming over the course of the year I still the questions with what their secondary is that I know it's the Patriots and I know they're able to do a lot of things successfully and you could it's kind of as two two points you could you know kind of take away with man what the Patriots want to do with some of these crossing routes with a zone and stuff but they're always going to find uh, the weakness in your defense there's only so many options but at the end of the day you can't leave guys just absolutely wide open on the like the josh gordon touchdown uh where he's the you know just comp- on the little uh route over the middle of the field no one's there there's completely dropped uh, lost coverage and this is something that has haunted pittsburgh secondary for it seems like the entire time since keith butler's been their defensive coordinator i don't know yeah, you know, I, I don't know what the solution is. They try to make improvements with guys like Joe Hayden and whatnot, but overall, there's just not enough there. You know, and their their defense has great players. Uh, T, I mean, T.J. Watt, or uh, 
had a you know a few big moments for the Steelers but it's just over the course of the game these individuals as we've seen Belichick in the past he's able to scheme for them and kind of take them out of the game in terms of the big play potential and what they're able to do I TJ still almost had a what could have been a sack fumble for Brady somehow ended up being a completion to Julian Edelman when it just floated right to him so uh but overall Pittsburgh's defense is a huge concern for me and it's it's a you know, this isn't the NFC with all these playoff teams that were, you know, you know, we were talking about nine, ten teams that can get in the postseason. The AFC is not quite that deep, but I still am a little worried about the back end of Pittsburgh's uh, defense and what they're going to be able to do for the entire season. Yeah, on offense, they've got to get something from guys like Dante Moncrief and James Washington, too. I mean, those guys, you know, th- those are their speed guys who have to be able to make plays. And, you know, you know what, Juju, you know a lot of attention is going to be on him. They've got to get something from those guys. Um, and, yeah, I don't know what to expect from the Steelers. Again, one week, but uh, we certainly have our concerns about them moving forward. Of course, I do as uh, my pick to win that division. So um, let's just go to the Browns because the, the Browns are the next biggest storyline, I think, of the, the weekend. Um, you and I, all we talked about all preseason was about how high we were on the Browns. Um, you picked them to win the division. I picked them as a wild card team. They can still get there, but a 30-point home loss in week one to a Titans team that doesn't exactly regularly score 40-plus points in a game is concerning, and anyone who says otherwise would be lying. Um, Dylan, there's so much here to, to me. I mean, the penalties was certainly something that stood out. When you get almost close to 200 yards worth of penalties, um, Baker Mayfield certainly w- did not look like himself in that game. Um, you talk about getting you know outscored 21 to nothing at home in the fourth quarter. Boy, this was not the the hype train did not want to start here <laughs> because this went about as bad as it could possibly go for the Browns given all the hype that we had on them going into the season. Not not the showing we were expecting at all. I, I think, you know, we during our previews, one thing we did bring up as a possible weakness was their offensive line. I think it's a bigger problem than we thought. Yes, Greg Robinson didn't play the whole second half after his uh, kicking incident so yeah. uh, that definitely yeah. hurt them but I think losing Kevin Zeitler and you just overall I mean we know the Titans have a good defense and we talk a bit about how strong they are but they were absolutely dominating up front it was uh, Baker you know didn't look like himself and it's a guy that we you know can succeed when he's under pressure and can make plays but it was it was overwhelming it, and it was it seemed like it was every single play you, even you go to the safety and some of the other things where he got hit I know he had a wrap around his hand and was getting that checked out so for the Browns I, I you know they gave up 43 points I'm not as worried about their defense because a lot of that did come after you know Baker Mayfield threw back-to-back picks and then a few other short kind of fields for the Titans at the end of the game um so but there still are questions with their secondary there's a few plays where AJ Brown leaked out and really easy like 30 40 yard uh, chunk plays for the Titans offense obviously the Derrick Henry screen that was just schemed to perfection with what the Browns had called on defense so there's moments with the Browns defense where they still you know they had a number of sacks and were still able to get things done but I think the bigger concern has to be the offensive line that for the Browns that's at the end of the day that you know Baker Mayfield is the heart and soul of this team and his you know, if he can't be protected and if he can't do the things that we've seen him be able to do, you see that what he's able to do on that first drive when they had their opening script and they ran, went right down the field and everything looked perfect and the whole place is going nuts. You you felt you you know you felt like this is what we're going to see throughout the whole game and it just wasn't going to happen. And I think unless they're able to address their offensive line, Greg Robinson able to you know stay on the field, 
avoid some of these penalties. It's going to be, it's not going to be easy for the Browns. Um, and you know, they play the Jets next week, and maybe they'll be able to get a win there. And but then they face the Rams week three. It's not, and their whole opening schedule, as we've kind of talked about before, is not easy. So, yeah, it's for Cleveland. I think it would have been preferable for them if their schedule had kind of been flipped if the the easier part of their schedule would have been at the beginning of the season when they're working everything out and getting everything put together and then the so they could kind of gear up for the tough stretch that's not the case so they're gonna have to figure things out real quick and have to flip a switch and they're gonna have to make sure they win games like next week against the Jets they're gonna have to make sure they beat the teams they're supposed to beat because if they don't as we've seen even going back to last year they really struggled against better teams they still have not even when Baker Mayfield and Freddie Kitchens were united they still have not beat playoff teams consistently so uh yeah you know still still optimistic but uh definitely took a huge blow yesterday you mentioned that schedule five of their next seven games are on the road their home games uh, those two home games they have in that stretch are against the rams and the seahawks which are not givens by any means mm-hmm. um so they, I, I hesitate to use must win in week two but <laughs> that that is a very close to a must win for the browns because like we said after that you're at home against the rams then you're at the ravens you go to the 49ers which by the way i don't think you know the 49ers the, the bucks look terrible but i don't know that the 49ers are that bad at least after seeing them in for week one um so that's not necessarily going to be an easy game so yeah that game against the jets monday night prime time if you're going to get things figured out you got to do it next Monday because uh, they can't afford to be 0-2 hosting the Rams uh, that next week. It's just it would put them in a really bad spot, uh, and certainly Browns fans, with all that excitement coming into the season, uh, they don't want to have to worry about possibly getting off to an 0-3 start here uh, and then having to go to Baltimore the following week. So uh, yeah, big 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 kind of turnaround needed for for the Browns here. Uh, it's early, but yeah, they've got to get a lot of things figured out. Uh, if they want to meet those expectations. Um, speaking of expectations, I think both of us had high expectations for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and I don't, you know, again, I don't know if the Falcons are bad or, Dylan, if if my pick of the Vikings winning the <laughs> NFC North just looks really good uh, because, man, the Vikings did look really good. Um, they made the, the Falcons, again, I mean, it's 28-12, to 12, but let's remember – it was 28 to nothing and the Falcons scored you know 12 points in the fourth quarter basically in garbage time so the Vikings completely dominated that game they showed how good their defense is Dalvin Cook we had concerns about him when he tore the ACL but my goodness he has come back and he is as explosive as ever Kirk Cousins only had to throw the ball 10 times I mean, this Vikings team they look like the team that we thought you know in terms of what their ceiling could be they certainly showed that potential in week one and uh, if you're a minnesota fan watching that packers bears game i don't know the the vikings they they look like a team to be reckoned with yeah both sides of the ball from minnesota looked like they had something to prove i mean the defense we went into the game i think you mentioned matt ryan as a concerning fantasy play and sure enough Mm -hmm. you know he always struggles against mike zimmer he got those two garbage time touchdowns and sure that helped your fantasy scores a bit but it didn't make an impact on the actual game itself 
and the, yeah the Vikings defense uh, you know they, they have so much continuity and last year even with that all those guys there they kind of struggled at times against better offenses they they looked like they again they had something to prove and they came out and absolutely punched the Falcons in the mouth the whole game did not let them do anything running the ball did not you know it seemed like every time a receiver or at the point of the catch was getting hit it, just absolutely phenomenal from them and Minnesota picked up right where they kind of left off at the end of the year with Kevin Stefanski taking over the offense and the running the ball looked absolutely great Dalvin Cook this is the guy that we were looking at for you know when he came out of Florida State he was absolutely explosive I I mean yeah I'm getting chills just thinking about what this team can do if they have all the all the pieces working together because this is another team that's really complete and I think Oh, yeah, you mentioned uh, Kirk Cousins only have to throw in the ball, having to throw the ball that many times. We'll see what Minnesota does in games where they fall behind and teams know they're going to be passing and they're able to pin their ears back and you know get after him. And that's one thing where he struggled with. But if Minnesota is this good at running the ball, it won't matter. It, it won't make as yeah. big of a difference. That's we, we see that with a lot of teams too, with the Rams even, where they, they rely on running the ball to kind of set up their pass a bit or at least to you know keep them in in good situations where they're able to throw with a defense not looking for it necessarily so i yeah the vikings i don't know if there's as many takeaways for me from the falcons i think they're still going to be good on offense i'm a little more concerned with their defense based on how they were kind of again physically punched in the mouth literally if you take there's one dalvin cook run where he ran right over deon jones finished the run looked down at him after and let him know about it and you know those kind of plays where you just, it didn't look like the falcons were you know trying to prove something that they're uh, you know worthy of being considered one of the playoff contenders in the nfc whereas the vikings made a statement i think it's one game again but these are the games at the end of the year with so many teams that are in the race for the playoff spots in the NFC, these are the games you have to win. You have to beat the other contenders, and Minnesota got it done in a really impressive fashion. Yeah, and if Kirk Cousins does have to, he does have to throw the ball a ton. I mean, think about it. He's got Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs and, and Kyle Rudolph, Not and bad. it's like <laughs> no. And that's why the the Vikings, if their defense is playing that way, they've just got a lot of options on offense, and people will have their concerns about Kirk Cousins in, in big games, and maybe uh, if they find themselves in a playoff race where they're having to win a game. Uh, let's say in December, you know, mid-December or something, that's understandable. But, boy, if they they keep rolling like that, if they play defense like that, there are going to be a lot of teams that are going to be really frustrated when they play the Vikings, and that will equal a lot of wins uh, in Minnesota this season. But for the Falcons, I'm with you. I'm not as concerned. Uh, They have a chance. We mentioned the Browns having to to bounce back in prime time. The Falcons will have a chance to do that on Sunday when they play the Eagles, um, you know, at home. So that's a big game for the Falcons. If they can come back, win that game, uh, then you feel a little bit better uh, about Atlanta uh, moving forward there. Certainly have the talent. They just uh, need to get some things together after what had to feel like a deflating performance because that was that mm-hmm. was a one-sided game uh and the vikings certainly a lot of confidence now moving forward uh some other games here dylan now we won't spend much time on the bills and the jets because uh it was pretty much uh the bills come back win that game uh speaking of deflating i think that was a deflating loss for the jets but i think jamison crowder he was the story of this game even though they lost uh my goodness jamison crowder getting 17 targets in a game i don't know that we expected to see that but hey uh, good win for the bills and i don't really know there's anything we could take away from this game to be honest this was kind of that traditional bills jets game where it's not always pretty uh and i don't know that we really know enough about either team to really expect a whole lot moving forward i know before the call i mentioned yeah yeah, this is a game that we both 
last week when we picked our games kind of struggled with because we could see either team winning and sure enough ended up being a close game but behind the actual score itself Buffalo did have an impressive outing they uh, had 23 first downs only 10 third downs attempt on offense they the, I mean the big the big reason this game was even close is because Buffalo allowed a you know the interception return touchdown and had three turnover uh, had a negative three turnover margin the, the Jets had everything set up for them to win this game they had those teams that turn win the turnover battle by three rarely lose let alone teams that also add in a return touchdown like that the Buffalo outgained them 370 to 223 I think uh, Buffalo's defense looked absolutely amazing. I, I know we're high on them and what they're able to do down the stretch of the season. I don't know with Josh Allen and this offense still, but I think there are some takeaways there, at least on Buffalo being a little better than I expected with those numbers. Yes, they won by one. And for the Jets, I think, you know, a, a popular kind of trendy pick for a playoff spot. I still think they have a lot of questions because if you can't win games against teams like the Bills when you win the turnover margin by that much and have all those things going for you, I'm not sure you're really ready to get into the postseason yeah just because you have levy on bell doesn't mean you're going to immediately become a playoff team and uh, i think the bills the, the, those are the games and you mentioned it with like the falcons you know if you're the jets you're wanting to get to a playoff game those are the games you have to win you just can't afford to drop those kind of games you know you still have to play two against the patriots uh but on the flip side hey you get two against the dolphins so at least uh <laughs> you feel like you're going to get two wins there probably um so yeah that, that's a tough one if you're a jets fan because uh, that's one they let get away but yeah, not a whole lot uh, to take away from that one, and we'll see uh, if either of those teams can sort of uh, make a move here moving forward. Let's talk about a couple other AFC matchups here. The Chiefs and the Jags, a uh, 40-26 win for the Chiefs, and you had the Chargers beating the Colts uh, in what was maybe the most exciting game of the day. Uh, an overtime, a 30-24 home win for the Chargers. Uh, starting with the Chiefs, uh, I mean – the Nick Foles injury is the thing that, that everybody's talking about. Uh, plus, on the Chiefs' side, you have uh, Tyree Kill's injury, not really knowing when he's going to return right now. A uh, couple key injuries there that could probably have a huge impact on both of those teams, but obviously more of an impact for the Jags uh, because they have someone just completely throwing into the mix in Gardner Minshew uh, at quarterback, whereas the Chiefs, even if Tyree Kill's out, let's say, several weeks, we know what kind of options they have in that offense, as shown by Sammy Watkins completely exploding um, for, uh, what did he have? I mean, he just had a ton of points. PPR mm-hmm. points, they got 46, something like that. Uh, just an unbelievable three-touchdown performance. That just shows you what the Chiefs offense is capable of. Uh, so, you know, we, we talked about the Jags defense, having a lot of hope for them. Maybe <laughs> we still do. But uh, that was – but, again, I think you could you can add that, too, with the Nick Foles injury. That that was another sort of thing that after that happened, you know, it, it put the Jags in a tough spot, especially against uh, the defending, uh, you know, NFL MVP because Mahomes looked as good as ever, I think. Yeah, regression not going to be a problem for Patrick Mahomes, I don't think. Not, they, they were able to do whatever they wanted, even after Tyreek Hill left the game. They still have so many pieces on that team. And, yeah, like you mentioned, Sammy Watkins – putting up you know it seemed like at times last year taking weeks to compile that many fantasy points so uh, great to see him be having a big role in that offense and i think overall they're going to be fine there i think more concerning for the chiefs when i think in the big picture compared to teams like the patriots that gardner Minshew comes in for the jags and still 
what goes like what 24 for 27 something like that yeah he was, only had like three incompletions i think yeah yeah so i think the chiefs pass rush didn't really make the difference that i was hoping they would when they could you know they had a pretty sizable lead and they know the that jacksonville is going to be having to throw the ball and they still really couldn't stop it anyway so that that was a little bit concerning but again it is week one you know there's a lot of time for these guys to kind of come together and mesh as a defense I think for Jacksonville, obviously very disappointing to lose Nick Foles, especially after he throws that beautiful touchdown. And you see that's kind of what the patented uh, over-the-top lollipop 40-yard mm-hmm. on-the-money pass we saw him uh, throw for the Eagles in their Super Bowl run a couple of years ago so many times, Alshon Jeffrey and those guys. So, yeah, big loss for them. I, they trade for Josh Dobbs. I, at this point, I, I wouldn't take Gardner Minshew out, out of the game until, <laughs> until we see him uh, not put up those kind of numbers. It'll be a little different against, against other secondaries. But for the Chiefs, I think overall, the one thing, you, Jacksonville still should have a pretty decent defense by the end of the year. And Kansas City's offense is so good that they are still scheming things wide open. I mean, Mahomes made a number of great throws. But overall, it seemed, again, like it's not fair when you have a coach like Andy Reid who's drawing up these plays that end up with and these you know these weapons on the offense that are wide open so many times and Mahomes is hitting them all right in the money. It's just it's fun to watch and doesn't really seem fair sometimes for some of these teams that feel like they have talented defenses they're just getting out schemed out there and you add in the talent of Mahomes and it's it's why the Chiefs are still at the end of the day going to be right in the conversation with the Patriots and some of these other teams in the AFC for a Super Bowl run yeah LaShawn McCoy how about you know 10 carries 81 yards too I mean Mm -hmm. he broke off that big run that's he's fitting in you know seemingly fitting in fine there um but like we mentioned the Chiefs probably biggest threat in that division is the Chargers they did get that overtime win and you know we talk about standout performers we mentioned Sammy Watkins for the Chiefs Austin Eckler I mean this guy uh, hey we we saw his versatility last season um but we really saw it yesterday in that game because I mean this guy can just do so much in terms of whether it's you know he had some good runs he certainly when you think about uh his value as someone who can catch the ball out of the backfield he made some you know just incredible plays he's just got that shiftiness uh I love Austin Eckler but you know what Dylan I also like Justin Jackson and and just Mm -hmm. having those two guys um has been something where even with melvin gordon out and seemingly at this point it seems like gordon is not going to play for a while um if you're the chargers you're still feeling okay on the flip side for the colts yeah it's a tough loss but i'm still okay with where the colts are at with marlon mack rushing for 175 Mm -hmm. yards um or excuse me 174 yards either way i i think i felt pretty good about both of these teams now moving forward uh, even in what was a tough loss for the Colts I know I said I thought the Chargers offense would be fine without Melvin Gordon but I did, I did not expect Austin Eckler to look like a complete back as he did uh, <laughs> yesterday um, yeah the Chargers offense was humming the whole game I, I expected a little more from the Colts defense I thought at the over the course of last year they kind of came together and looked like a better unit uh, the, I almost said San Diego again Los Angeles still <laughs> able to move the ball able to kind of do what they wanted all game on offense you know if you take away that that Malik Hooker interception in the end zone the Chargers at least are able to kick a field goal and kind of this game doesn't have the the insane ending that we ended up getting so yeah for the Chargers point of view I think the bigger concern for them has to be the defense I mean this is a a, you know when they're a playoff loss to the Patriots they got absolutely bowled over by their running game and then we see in this game Marlon Mack and what the Colts are able to do and the Chargers know it's coming I mean Jacoby Brissett is still a solid quarterback but we we know that they're gonna have to run the ball a bit more than they may have without and with uh, Andrew Luck before so you, you know it's coming and you can't stop it and that's 
a bigger concern for the Chargers. I know they have a the Colts do have a solid offensive line, but nonetheless, that's one thing for a team that you know we mentioned as being a possible contender. That's something they're going to have to fix. And like you said, for the Colts, it, this is a game that you know I, I know I picked them to win the game as my upset of the week. They almost pulled it off. I think still imp- things good things to see from them. Still going to have a you know a, a say in this division. I, I think they have too much talent on both sides of the ball. You see them go on the road against a team like the Chargers and put up you know force overtime. I think it shows a lot. Says a lot about this team and what they're going to be able to do over the course of the year on both sides of the ball. I think the offense only got better and better over the course of the game as they got more reps together. By the way, T.Y. Hilton's uh, demise, I think, was greatly exaggerated. <laughs> uh, eight, eight receptions for 87 yards and two touchdowns. Let's let's calm down a bit on T.Y. Hilton. Everybody talking about how uh, certainly, and again, that's all we had to go off of was the numbers, but T.Y. Hilton's still a good player, and I don't think he's just going to, you know, expecting Jacoby Brissett just to never find him on the field uh, was not a, a right expectation to begin with. Um, he's going to be just fine with, with that type of effort. Now, what happens around him, that could be the important thing because Devin Funches, we know with the injury now, um, that could yeah. be the most intriguing part of this when we think about the Colts' offense. Um, you know, yeah, you, you know what you're getting with the tight ends with Eric Ebron, but he only had one reception. Uh, Jack Doyle only had one reception. So they're going to need some help uh, in that regard around T.Y. Hilton, and we'll see. Some of these guys will continue to come along, uh, but uh, that that could be something worth watching uh, from the Colts' standpoint. But, yeah, they were playing with house money in that game, and uh, while you want to get a win, as we know, that was uh, not exactly a performance that makes you doubt the Colts' ability uh, mm-hmm. to at least have a chance to win that division. Let's talk about a couple of close calls here because <laughs> these were the two, two, two games you and I were the most confident in. Uh, we were just sitting around. We just had all the confidence in the world that the Eagles <laughs> were going to beat the Redskins. That was you. For me, the Seahawks were going to just destroy the Bengals. Uh, both Dylan a little bit closer than we thought they'd be. We'll start with the Eagles, um, who got down just quick as can be, and you're sitting there wondering what on earth is going on. The Redskins team that we knew just felt like they were still sort of decimated. Um, Case Keenum was a quarterback now. We didn't know what they were getting from them uh, in any phase of the game, really. And mm-hmm. then you had the Eagles, uh, which, like you said, your Super Bowl pick, uh, a concerning start, but then a uh, familiar face comes in to save the day. Deshaun Jackson picks up right where he left off. Uh, eight reception, 154 yards, two touchdowns. Man, he uh, he looked really good, but uh, you got to give the Eagles credit for rallying here. Uh, certainly, you don't want to get off to that kind of start, and maybe the Redskins won't be as bad as we thought. Uh, but still, hey, a good win, week one win for the Eagles. Uh, they found a way to win the game. That's all that matters. Might forget the Redskins last year, you know, before Alex Smith's injury, were probably the team that was going to win the NFC East. And I think I forgot that, you know, kind of blew that over my head when I started thinking about the Cowboys and the Eagles and what they have on their teams. And Washington came out with something to prove. I I didn't expect Vernon Davis to become Superman and just fly through multiple defenders on his 48-yard touchdown. But overall, Washington did a lot of good things. And if, you know, if they hit, there's one other overthrow later in the game by Keenum, they hit some of these long passes where the Eagles defense got caught looking in the backfield. That was the big thing. Even when guys came out, Washington still was getting guys open. The Eagles defense did settle 
and did it seemed like every time you on red zone especially it, it, eagles just seemed like they always had the ball in the second half and it was like what's going on and you'd look and you'd see that they're getting quickly off the field kind of setting the tone at that point i think philadelphia yeah their offense they finally settled in as well it didn't take took a little bit of time but in the second half they were absolutely explosive Deshaun Jackson again making us look like fantasy geniuses and we said he was an intriguing play and sure enough uh, comes into this game and absolutely blows off the whole thing so yeah I think the Eagles concerning start uh, you wanted to see them kind of soundly win this game i was hoping they'd still cover uh the redskins were able to score that touchdown in the final seconds to get the backdoor cover there but i think philadelphia has some things to work on with their secondary too especially i i, I their defense itself and the defensive front had some strong moments from everything i saw after the game watching some of the highlights but the secondary gave up too many big plays over the top maybe they didn't expect Keenum to be throwing those maybe they thought Washington was going to be more conservative whatever it was Washington had a lot of open guys running deep down the field and they connected a couple times did not other times if they had a couple more that we would have seen a different result so uh, you know Washington probably not as bad as we thought they were maybe the Eagles not quite as good at this point as we thought they were as well yeah, receiver on the Redskins, we'll talk about in a minute uh, to consider picking up on the waiver wire, and uh, we won't spoil it yet, but you all know who we're talking about if you watch the game. Uh, certainly some some intriguing options there. Uh, now, though, with the Darius Geis injury, uh, not exactly sure what you're going to get from the Redskins. Uh, it does seem like he's going to be out for a little bit. Uh, so we'll see what happens there with the Redskins, but one of those start for the Eagles. That's what they wanted. And the Seahawks and the Bengals, like I said, Um, That was the one I said, this is a double-digit win for the Seahawks, but my (laughs) goodness, I am okay to admit when I'm wrong. Uh, I was not wrong about the Dolphins, but I was wrong about the Bengals, and yes, one game sample size, let's not go over the top here, but... Dylan, I thought the Bengals looked, looked pretty good. I mean, just in Zach Taylor's offense, it seems like that, that he's found a way to use some of these guys uh, in different ways. You and I were talking about John Ross before we, we started recording. Seven receptions, 158 yards, two touchdowns. That's the John Ross that people have been wanting to see in Cincinnati, but maybe he just needed a change in the offense uh, because he looked really good. And, I mean, Andy Dalton puts up 418 yards and two mm-hmm. touchdowns. Hey, I'm not saying we we talked about the comparisons. Zach Taylor, Sean McVay, because he worked with him, everybody's going to make those comparisons. But it does seem like he's found some wrinkles, or at least uh, early on in this season, they are figuring out ways to use guys uh, in that sort of Rams-esque sort of role. Uh, hey, it's, it's not a win, but you know what? Uh, you feel a little bit better about the Bengals right now. I think if you ask anyone in this, on the Cincinnati coaching staff or the players, they will say it should have been a win. They they really had the opportunity there. They missed a few, a few times that they got in the red zone and were not able to score, whether it be missed field goals or other things. So uh, Cincinnati overall, it, it felt like they were going to win this game. They felt like they had enough opportunities and they just could not capitalize enough. And the C- Seattle, we get you know fourth quarter, Russell Wilson arriving a little early with a deep pass to D- DK Metcalf, then finally – uh, the first target of the game to Tyler Lockett, who was being double and triple covered, according to him after the game. Uh, finally getting that first target to him, breaking loose for the one of being the game-winning touchdown. So Seattle, I think I'm yeah absolutely concerned with their defense. I think, yeah, they give up 20 points, but this easily could have been 30-something if they didn't lock down in the red zone and have some unforced errors. You have the Andy Dalton uh, play where he the ball just slips out of his hand for the fumble, not even forced. So overall seattle lucky to get out of there with a win they they have you know they have guys that know how to win these close games whereas the bengals maybe are still kind of finding their way but i was impressed also with the bengals defense for a lot of portions of the game it, seattle was struggling to get their uh offense moving they had a few really solid drives and you saw chris carson 
uh, showing everyone why he's one of the better fantasy guys uh, running backs out there. So, But overall, Cincinnati's defense did not let Seattle consistently get down the field. I thought they looked a lot better than I thought they would be. Um, the Bengals' offense, uh, even when Joe Mixon went out, they're still able to move the ball with Giovanni Bernard. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, John Ross was just all over the place. I don't know if you can rely on that every week in fantasy. Tyler Boyd will probably have something to say about that. So I think overall for the Bengals, better team than we thought they were in Seattle. Um, I think they really miss Earl Thomas on the back end. I think that's the secondary just did not – at times, you mentioned all those yards for Andy Dalton. That that's partially going to be the pass rush for Seattle too, and the Cincinnati's offensive line isn't you know a top tier unit, and they're still able to protect Andy enough to get these plays off. So Seattle's defense, a lot of work to do in a you know really packed NFC as we've mentioned. So uh, interesting game and one that at the, Seattle at the end of the day that could be you know if they get in the playoffs by one game, we could look back at this all the way in Week One and say you know if they they really got lucky there. Yeah, Chris Carson didn't exactly put up the numbers I thought he would. 15 carries, 46 yards, and a touchdown. I, I called him the most obvious fantasy play in the history of fantasy football, I think, or something like that. Not quite to that level, uh, so maybe let's scale still, that back. Still but, put yeah. up some solid points. <laughs> exactly. He's still going to he's still gonna get used a lot this year, and uh, he's someone to keep an eye on there. But, yeah, feel good about where the Bengals are, and uh, tough loss there for him, but uh, certainly had their opportunities. Um, a couple of games involving NFC West teams here, and we don't, you know, not necessarily have to spend a ton of time on these two games because I don't know that we really know exactly what we're getting from uh, the Cardinals and the 49ers. The Cardinals and the Lions tied at 27. Um, the Niners, we mentioned a little bit earlier, got a two touchdown win in Tampa over the Bucks. Um, starting with that, that 49ers game, Dylan, anything that really stood out to you? I mean, to, to me, it was all about Jameis Winston. He just really struggled. <laughs> he was uh, I mean, <laughs> it was just the Niners got two defensive touchdowns off of interceptions, mm-hmm. um, and that game just, just got out of hand for, for the Bucks. And, you know, maybe you just look at them and say, this is going to be another one of those years where this is going to be what kind of holds them back. They have all the weapons on offense in that passing game, which we've talked about. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I don't really know how much we can take away from this game uh, for the Niners, especially maybe on offense, just because it was a defensive thing where mm-hmm. you had those two game changing interceptions really for touchdowns. I don't really know what we, we can gather from, from this particular game other than Jameis Winston is still struggling, and I don't know. I don't think any of us thought the Bucks were going to be uh, maybe anything other than that fourth team in that division, mm-hmm. uh, and especially now after week one, it sort of feels that way. Yeah, this is a game that I expected both teams to put up huge numbers. You end up with a, a total of 48, not quite the over. But, it, again, like you said, it was mostly about the defense. And we look at both these teams, I don't think the defense has really improved enough to perform as well as they did. I think it says a lot more about where the, the state of both of these offenses. Uh, Bruce Arians has worked you know, magic with so many quarterbacks, but Jameis Winston might not be one that he's able to get that trick with. They they have all the all the tools in offense. You're playing a team in the 49ers who I don't – their secondary – uh, you know, this is a team that only had two picks last year. I, I yeah. tweeted this out. They had two interceptions last season. They had 
three last yesterday. Uh, <laughs> two already, for touchdowns. Yeah. Yes, and they were absolutely like these weren't necessarily plays though where guys are making an amazing uh, plays on the ball and deep balls down the field or in traffic. These were Jameis Winston throwing off his back foot to who God knows where and going <laughs> going right into the lap of 49er <laughs> players. It was a game that I have a tough time taking anything away more than just overall for some of these NFC West teams that the Rams definitely looked the strongest. We can get to them maybe right before we finish up here. But yep. um, I, yeah, the 49ers offense, uh, really concerned with what they're able to do. Tevin Coleman, hopefully he's not out too long, but that's a lo- big loss for what they're kind of getting him involved with as their number one kind of primary back in a lot of these passing situations. So I th- I think the 49ers, I expected them their offense to – put up big numbers on the flip side against Tampa Bay's secondary. That's why I thought this would easily be an over game. Both offenses struggled immensely. Jimmy Garoppolo still had struggles kind of like we saw in the preseason. At that point, we thought it was just, you know, him working on things, kind of going through the, you know, preseason motions for a bit, but he struggled a lot. And I, as much as Kyle Shanahan can put him in places to succeed, he needs to make the throws. He needs to have the reads still on the field. He can't do everything for him. And uh, it definitely, uh, as we've seen in the preseason and now, the hits on Jimmy Garoppolo, you, you, we think about the end of 2017 where he had that five-game winning streak and everyone's talking about him like the next Tom Brady. And now, you know, he at the beginning of last year, we don't really see him on the field much because he has the torn ACL early in the year. And so right now, though, he, he's still got a lot to work on. He doesn't look quite like he's going to be in that top tier of QBs just yet. And the fact that he's not able to get it done against the Buccaneers secondary that was waiting for things to happen, that's really concerning for me if you're looking for the 49ers to compete for a playoff spot. And then the Cardinals-Lions. Uh, Kyler Murray, I mean, I thought he, you know, they, they looked better, obviously, in the second half. They, they forced the tie. They at least put themselves in a position after getting down the, the way that they did. Uh, but another game where I, I don't really know that we have a good feel for, for either team. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald is still Larry Fitzgerald. The one mm-hmm. standout, which I'll talk about here in a minute when we discuss uh, waiver wire. I mean, TJ Hawkinson for the Lions, yep. uh, he's certainly going to be someone that factors into that offense. Uh, but hard to really know what to take away because uh, these two teams are seemingly uh, fighting uphill battles uh, in their respective divisions this season kind of fitting that it ended up being a tie because both teams had really one play each where it was very easy for the game to be won for the Lions, it was when they're trying to get that last first down to run out the clock mm-hmm. and they have the perfect play called up and uh, daryl bevel calls a timeout right before <laughs> you know and they, they put through the, t- the whole timeout right before they're able to convert next play it's uh, nothing going and they have to punt so that's one where the Lions would have been able to knee it three times game over then in overtime we see the cardinals have you know after they punted and they played for the tie and i'm not going to blame you know go too far into the decision there when it was a tie game with like a minute left in overtime but the lions come back and you see matthew stafford throws a ball right to their secondary and they just it seemed the ball went and hit him in the helmet and just fell to the ground and both teams were trying to throw the game away it was kind of like you saw really promising things as you mentioned with tj hawkinson obviously kyle murray in the fourth quarter primarily and, and then in overtime at points looked you know you saw why he was the number one pick and he showed off his arm and some of the those things so you saw good things from both these teams but at the same time you saw the reason why they're not uh, teams that were really being considered for playoff bursts because they just could not finish and had those chances so uh, fantasy wise you know for the both teams maybe Kyler Murray a lot of fantasy owners that did start him were feeling pretty bad until the end of the game and he still put up pretty solid numbers and then for the Lions 
you know, their defense looked like it was going to be a, a solid unit uh, again, like it was kind of last year at certain times. And then they started looking like they had no chance to stop Arizona every time they were going up and down the field. So a weird game, uh, both these games that we just talked about, very odd, uh, hard to take away really too much for me yet. We'll see what Arizona is able to do against some of the better teams in the NFL. Same with the Lions. They, they obviously play in a tough division. So really both teams, if they're going to make a uh, you know noise at the end of the year, they, they, ties aren't going to be what helps them. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't think uh, getting three ties or something like that's going to help you make the playoffs. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I way too early for me to, to gauge anything really on either of these two teams uh, because they do feel sort of similar in some ways. And uh, that, like I said, that they are kind of fighting an uphill battle to try to make the playoffs. But let's wrap up with two teams here and two games where you have two teams in particular that will not be fighting an uphill battle probably to make the playoffs. That is the Cowboys and the Giants. Dylan, uh, you know, to me. I don't know what else you can say here. It went about as well as we thought it would for the Cowboys, even though I will go ahead and tell you, not picking the Cowboys to make the playoffs is going to turn out to be a huge mistake uh, for for both of us because uh, that was just something where you do it every year and you just really overthink things. The Cowboys have a ton of weapons now that Zeke's back. Dak goes 25 of 32 for 405 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, you're not you don't get to play the Giants every week. Who yeah. I, who I don't think to be honest with you, I don't think the Giants look terrible. Like I'm not saying they're going to be good, but I just think the Cowboys have the potential to be that good. And and if that's coming from the guy who didn't pick them to make the playoffs, uh, yeah. but you know I don't know. I mean the Giants are going to be a team that's going to be playing from behind a lot. There's certainly some fantasy value there. With some of their guys, I mean, Saquon Barkley had 11 carries, 120 yards. Um, but the, the, Kellen Moore, I thought, called a really good game for the Cowboys. Their offense has so much flexibility, so much versatility. I mean, the, the Cowboys are – we mentioned this earlier. I mean, hey, they're, they're going to be 3-0. and They play the Redskins and the Dolphins next. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to score a lot of points probably in both of those games coming up. Uh, Cowboys look really good. Giants, we know where they're at. They're, they're in rebuilding mode. I'm not saying they're going to be great, but maybe with some of the guys they have on offense like Barkley, uh, Evan Ingram, at least maybe they have some opportunities at some point to, to pull off mm-hmm. some upsets here or there. There's a lot of people discounting the, the, the Cowboy win just because it was against the Giants. But again, as we've talked about, you're still supposed to soundly beat teams on your schedule that are uh, inferior to you, and that's what they did. And I think it was great to see the Dallas Cowboys offense where they're not just running a bunch of eight-yard hook routes and kind of just relying on Zeke to manpower his way through guys. A lot more creative, creative things going on with Kellen Moore. I was, you know, I've talked about him a bit as their offensive coordinator. I thought it was a really good first showing for him. I think overall it's put Dak in a lot of good positions to make throws that he's able to down the middle of the field. And Dak's, you know, as much as we talk about some of his things with inaccuracy, he made some really solid touch throws down the sideline to guys. So I think it was, a, as you mentioned, a really promising game for them. And, yes, they're not going to play the Giants every week, but they do have one of the softer schedules in the NFL. They're going to play a lot of teams that they are better than. And if they play like this, they're not going to have all those one-score wins they had last year. They're going to have 18-point wins like this. I think the Cowboys are going to be a factor. And, yeah, one that we both overlooked, uh, not just because of the talent they have, but also their schedule does line up quite well. Yeah, I think they're going to be okay. Uh, they're they're in good shape. Uh, we we sincerely apologize to all the Cowboys fans for not picking them to make the playoffs. Uh, again, I think we we may have sort of overthought that, and uh, but we relied on other teams that didn't look as good in Week One. Hey, we're not saying the Cowboys are going to make the playoffs after one week, but they did look really good, and so that's a positive there in Dallas. Uh, let's wrap up with the Rams and the Panthers. Uh, Rams get a 30-27 win. Uh, got off to a pr- pretty good start there. Were able to hold on uh, after the Panthers tried to rally there late. 
couple things here for me, Dylan, um, and this will transition into to the waiver wire, which we'll finish up this episode with. Um, I think it, it's pretty clear to me at this point. Todd Gurley looked good in the second half. He he looked, you know, he made some good runs. I thought he looked okay. Uh, felt like Todd Gurley that we know, but I don't. I mean, Malcolm Brown to me is still going to factor into this offense a great deal eventually. Uh, maybe you know Daryl Henderson gets in there. He didn't yesterday, but I don't know if that's a huge surprise. It was the first game. I don't necessarily think any of us expected him to, to play. You know, twenty five snaps or anything like that. Um, but the, the Rams got the win. I didn't think it was their best performance, mm-hmm. uh, but to go on the road and get a win over a Panthers team that could be a playoff team uh, with Christian McCaffrey, who just once again, uh, one of the better players in the NFL. Uh, there's just no doubt when you consider what this guy can do. I mean, look at his stats. He had 19 carries, 128 yards, and two touchdowns, had 10 receptions for 81 yards. Christian McCaffrey can do it all. Uh, but the Rams get a win on the road and uh, a good win. But I'll tell you, I still don't know exactly what we're going to get from Todd Gurley the entire mm-hmm. season. I don't know exactly how the Rams are going to use him. Uh, and, and for me, that does leave some question marks. But you know what? Malcolm Brown, at least at this point, has sort of, you know, he stepped up. He got the two touchdowns yesterday. I mean, I still feel okay with where the Rams are, even if uh, maybe Jared Goff didn't have the, the greatest game and neither, you know, the passing game wasn't perfect. But, hey, they still found a way to get the win. And you know what? In the NFL, again, that's all that matters to get a win on the road like that. Yeah, unless you follow the Rams closely, I wouldn't expect you to know too much about Malcolm Brown's, what he's been able to do over the last few years. But he's really a solid backup, for, has been for Todd Gurley. The thing is, as we've mentioned, they didn't have that pitch count they do currently have on Gurley. Malcolm Brown just wasn't seeing the field. But when he did last year before his injury that ended up leading to the C.J. Anderson signing, he was having this phenomenal year. He's an incredible uh, pass blocker, too, which is one underrated thing about Todd Gurley. Even when his all these concerns about his knee, his pass blocking hasn't really fallen off so I think yeah with Todd Gurley from a fantasy point of view I think you're, this is going to be the new normal though it's it's not going to be as many touches and it, Andrew Whitworth after the game talked a lot about how yes we overuse this guy this is such a physical draining sport we cannot have a guy getting you know 30 t- 25 30 touches a game and just rely on him to be a back there every game we got to give him some rest and yeah you mentioned Daryl Henderson and he doesn't get a touch until the second half um, I, I think that's partially he's still kind of learning some of the zone running schemes the Rams, Rams do it's different than what he ran at Memphis in college so we'll see what he's able to do over the course of the year but Malcolm Brown getting his opportunity to show who he is I think he stepped up in a big way um, not just you know the Rams offensive line at certain times struggled early in the game we saw them their run blocking in the second half was much better but Malcolm Brown was finishing runs he wasn't just relying on you know holes kind of like some of the longer runs we may have seen with Gurley um, Malcolm Brown was finishing runs over guys running through them so and promising to see that and to see the offensive line kind of pick things up in the second half my biggest takeaway though is that Sean McVay will be just fine I think yeah we didn't see the Rams offense running a lot of the things we have in the past with them getting these chunk plays down the field and you saw the Panthers kind of again uh, you heard if you watch the game you heard the commentators constantly mentioning that the Panthers were using a lot of the same schemes with zones and uh, kind of disguising blitzes and different coverages just like the Patriots did in the Super Bowl but the Rams came out not running 11 the entire game 
game. They ran a lot of two tight end sets that gave Goff more time to uh, get back and make some of their longer throws they ended up having. And they ran a ton of zone beaters. You saw a lot of little five, six yard plays where Cooper Cup would just sit in the middle of these softer zones. Same with Robert Woods um, and then the tight end. So they they were they came out prepared. They knew kind of what how teams were going to adapt to them. And it didn't wasn't the prettiest offensive performance, but they still put up 30 points on the board. I think their defense looked uh, pretty good for a team that gave up 27. If you take out the block punt and that uh, three-yard field the Panthers had for that touchdown, then another one that was kind of within playing to uh, prevent defense just to make sure that um, the Panthers wouldn't have enough time to get the ball back after the two-minute warning. I think overall the Rams, uh, they answered a lot of questions for me from a just an offensive perspective, though. They, what they're able to do with the play calling, it's not as, as exciting, as pretty as we've seen them look in the last two years, but as long as these teams are going to come out with these kind of schemes, this is what they're going to have to do to keep them honest, and this is how they're going to move the ball consistently. And I think it's a it's a different Rams team. It's a different uh, group of personnel that they're going to have on the field all the time. They did run some four receiver sets too, and I think they're definitely more experimenting with ways to kind of counter what they see these other teams countering their you know best plays and their best things they're able to do. And I think over the course of the year, having those multi dimensions to this offense is only going to be that much scarier. I think. There's going to be certain teams that cannot run the schemes as well as the Panthers were even able to, and the Pan- and the Rams are still going to look like the teams we've seen in years past. So uh, exciting for that, and I think the Panthers are still a competitive team that, you know, they're, they're still going to be a factor, I think, but uh, still some questions with Cam Newton. There were moments where he made some decisions and throws that just were not what we've seen in the past, and uh, I think as, as long as that's the case, yeah, Christian McCaffrey can put up huge numbers, but they really need to figure out overall what they're able to do with the ball outside of him. You said it. We talked about the Rams. It felt like they didn't play great, yet they went on the road and scored 30 points uh, against a potential playoff team. So uh, that's a good spot to be in, I think, if you're the Rams. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're sort of picking up where they left off uh, for, for there, and they're going to have a chance to, to get right back to a Super Bowl uh, because they do just have so many weapons, and uh, we'll see how things continue to evolve there for Sean McVay's team. But all right, Dylan, we'll quickly wrap up here with uh, the waiver wire pickups for uh, (laughs) week two and certainly in our fantasy corner here. That's what we'll talk about each week. Some of these guys you could definitely have your eye on, and it'll be based on uh, the article I do each week for clutchpoints.com, the top ten waiver wire pickups. And Dylan, uh, I'll just get your thoughts on some of these guys that I have on my list here uh, for, for guys, and certainly this is not factoring in players that that could be playing in these two monday night games of course the texans and the saints and the raiders and the broncos if there's anyone that stands out from there we'll have that one in the article as well but you know that that is a good place to start it's why we finished with the rams i have malcolm brown as my number one guy on that list uh he's 6.5 percent owned in (laughs) espn leagues which is just outstanding if you're someone who is high on that waiver wire and you want to have an opportunity um you know you kind of mentioned already and we probably don't have to touch on him a whole lot but malcolm brown is a no-brainer uh, as one of the running backs and and honestly in the top 10 you know on my list the only other running back i have on there because of the bulk of these guys are wide receivers after we saw so many great performances is chris thompson with the redskins mm-hmm. uh, only 18.9 percent owned because we said earlier darius guys expected to miss some time you assume Adrian Peterson is now going to be back into the mix. He was a healthy scratch, which was a big surprise, uh, I think, for a lot of people. But Chris Thompson, he, he kind of has that that versatility. You know, I, I think the Redskins are going to be playing from behind probably quite a bit, um, knowing that, that Geis is out for a little bit. Maybe that changes how they do things on offense. 
Keenum may just sling it around a lot, but at least Chris Thompson somebody who can catch it out of the backfield. Uh, so to me, Malcolm Brown, Chris Thompson, two guys uh, certainly that, that have some intrigue here going forward, especially Brown, like we said, uh, with Gurley's status. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, if you're lacking running back depth, especially in deeper leagues, both these guys, great options. Uh, maybe Chris Thompson a, a tad more for PPR than Malcolm Brown. But Malcolm Brown, yeah, like we mentioned, he's going to see the field a lot. And I think as Joe Henderson gets worked into the mix, that might take some time. It might take the entire year. And uh, no matter what, Malcolm Brown's going to see the field just, just by their whole setup now with Gurley not seeing it as much. So I think he's a solid play. He's a, uh, obviously a factor with what the Rams are able to do with their running game. And then Chris Thompson catches so many passes. I think Adrian Peterson, yeah, might might be active this week and uh, able to get some more carries with uh, guys out. But I still think Thompson's going to be a big part of what they're trying to do. We saw it even against a tough Eagles defense that does defend running backs a bit better. Uh, they're still able to get things done. And I think he's a guy that, you know, not every week are you going to be able to rely on him to put up huge fantasy numbers. But he's a you know, flex play that can give you a potential, uh, you know, 18 points here and there just depending on how many catches he gets if you're in PPR especially yeah, he's going to rack up the receptions even if he gets a few yards that's still going to help you out yeah for sure and uh, again like I said this week's uh, waiver wire pickups are pretty wide receiver heavy and the only other player I have on this top 10 list is that's uh, not a receiver is TJ Hawkinson who we mentioned mm-hmm. earlier uh, 30% owned uh, in ESPN leagues I mean for for me, Dylan, if you see a rookie like this, who I know it's one game, and you just we don't have the sample size, but it's clear that that he is going to be a big target in that offense. Uh, we saw it uh, in that game against the Cardinals. You know, Stafford was looking for this guy. Uh, he's someone who's going to see have at least have a lot of opportunities, and there's a reason why he was one of the you know best tight ends in this group yep. this year in this draft class. Um, I think T.J. Hawkinson is someone to pick up because we know the Lions are going to throw the ball uh, as much as we talk about on Johnson and all that. I never know. You can't trust you know the, the Lions' backfield, in my opinion, because you never know exactly who's going to get the carries, how exactly that's going to shake out. Uh, but seeing how T.J. Hawkinson's played, I think he is cer- certainly worth a look if you're someone mm-hmm. who who maybe drafted tight end and maybe just said, hey, uh, I'm just going to go with somebody who may not necessarily pan out. Uh, Hawkinson's got a, a pretty big future there in Detroit. Yeah, it's one week, uh, as we mentioned, but it's still against uh, a Cardinals defense that overall in the past has been really good against opposing passing games fantasy-wise and especially tight ends. So you had a guy that outplayed his projection by almost a 400% <laughs> just based on how you know what ESPN really thought he was going to be able to do in this game. You see why, as you mentioned, why the Lions valued him so high. I think that when they have a tight end in their offense it, uh, that's a really big uh, receiving threat, it helps out everything else they try to do. And that's why uh, even though you know the Lions ended up kind of stalling at the end of the game and overall not putting up as many points as they may have been able to, you still saw a team that was able to move the ball more consistently through the air than last night against a team that uh, you know, overall has been pretty good against the pass uh, for a lot of these stretches. So, TJ Hawkinson, absolutely. I, I, you know, we play in a deeper league at clutch points. Otherwise, he would probably be on the waiver wire, and I'd be trying to swipe him up. He's he's owned in ours, but otherwise, yeah, thirty percent as you mentioned. Those other seventy percent of leagues, I'd get on this guy right now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and we'll group these wide receiver. We won't throw them all. I'll give you kind of the. I guess the, the the bottom half of these, the guys who maybe you know, if you don't want to reach on, you don't necessarily have to take a chance on these guys. Um, but four guys in particular, we mentioned the Lions, Danny Amendola, who comes <laughs> out and and has thirteen targets. I mean, where did that come from? You know, thirteen targets in that game. 
Um, so he's certainly someone on my radar because of just, I mean, again, the targets. I mean, you just don't get those every week with a guy like that. Uh, we mentioned Terry McLaurin earlier. I think him for the Redskins, uh, we, we mentioned Chris Thompson kind of having to, to catch some passes. The Redskins, knowing that they could be playing from behind, uh, I think McLaurin, given what he did, I mean, you know, he did have 127 yards receiving. Um, he at least is another guy, small sample size, but he showed that speed and that big playability, and I always like that from guys. And the same goes for A.J. Brown with the Titans. Um, you've got another rookie here who uh, we were mentioning it before we came on. I mean, Corey Davis did not have a reception, and he was expected to be the, the top receiver for the Titans. He didn't have a reception in a game where the Titans, you know, were, were at least threw the ball a bit. They won by 30, scored 43 points. Corey Davis didn't have reception. Meanwhile, A.J. Brown caught three of his four targets for 100 yards, had a 51-yard play. Uh, I think he had 55 yards after contact. I like that upside. Uh, I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily love the Titans' offense, but you know what? I can go with a guy like that or at least take a chance on him if I have to. Uh, And then D.J. Chark. With the Jags, you know, we don't know what to expect from, from the Jags situation at quarterback, but you know what? There's another spot where they could find themselves playing behind, and when you look at guys like DJ Chark, I didn't put Chris Conley on the list, but you know what? You could easily put him in this place. Mm-hmm. Probably both of these guys grouping those two together. Uh, they both did pretty good. You know, Chark had 146 yards and a touchdown. I mean, you know, Dylan, again, you, you mentioned these guys in particular, and I, I would put Amendola certainly in the, the head of yeah. that group because mm-hmm. of those targets but uh those three other guys there uh they've got some potential and at least in deeper leagues let's point that out if you have a spot and you want to take a chance i don't think those three guys would be bad to take a chance on yeah targets more consistent maybe than you know we talk about you're saying one week here and we don't want to overreact too much to one week's score but targets are a big thing that do usually carry over a little more consistently so if Amendola is going to have a huge role out of the slot for the Lions offense and so be it and there's no reason to uh, believe that's going to really change as uh, the season goes on I think he's a great pickup option as you mentioned obviously Terry McLaurin I think yeah you made a great point Washington's going to be behind in a lot of games and they're going to have to be throwing the ball someone's got to catch it and he he made a name for himself real early I think he, he impressed with a lot of his routes and kind of things he's able to do against that Eagles secondary and breaking free some, from bigger name guys on the outside. So someone that I will definitely keep an eye on in our league. <laughs> nah, no spoilers there. I think with A.J. Brown, that's a guy that not as consistent. Um, but, yeah. you know, like from week to week, I'm not going to rely on him to – you know every single game put up this kind of performance but i think it is someone that's a home run hitter we saw like you mentioned all the yards after con um, after the catch and after contact i think this is a guy that can by the end of the year maybe be what the titans wanted Corey davis to be in their offense so in that case yeah he'd be a, a great option uh for the jag receivers my my bigger concern is they're not going to be facing secondaries like the chiefs all year and unless gardner Minshew uh, is able to lure mike leach from washington state over uh, you know with a reverse <laughs> thing here with him coming to the, the jags i'm not sure if he's going to be putting up uh, those huge numbers so i yeah chark impressive and conley you know chark is a guy that I, you know, not really on the radar for a lot of fantasy players, but someone who now you got to at least keep an eye on. And if he's able to put up uh, bigger performances, I mean, Jacksonville's defense might not be as good as we thought, and they might be behind as well. So they might be throwing the ball more. Who is throwing the ball is going to be a big question for them. Um, so, but a lot of great options. There's uh, that's the one thing about these uh, early weeks, and I think that as you mentioned, you hit it on the nail with 
with the uh, with Amendola and the targets. That's the one thing you can really rely on week after week. I think he's probably the top play out of all these. Yeah, and that's why Chark, I do have him at 10, you know, up the list because he's kind of that last guy where, like I said, you could interchange him and Chris Conley probably if you're someone who believes the Jags will be playing from behind um, and maybe they have to get in situations where they're throwing the ball a lot. Some of those could be interceptions, certainly, uh, but at least maybe opportunities there. And we can't forget about D.D. Westbrook, uh, who's also in that mix. So uh, maybe some options there on the Jags, but without Nick Foles, sure, it does kind of limit what they can do. But of the other wide receiver group, uh, these are the other three guys I have. And uh, I think one of these guys is just – I love him. He is just – he's the man now, and that is, of course, Marquise Brown with the Ravens now. Is, is Lamar Jackson going to have, you know, a ton of passing touchdowns and a perfect passer rating every week? No, but I, I am all in, Dylan, on Mr. Hollywood Brown here <laughs> because uh, this guy had 147 yards, two touchdowns on just four receptions. He's not going to get to play the Dolphins every week. He didn't play a ton of snaps, but that breakaway speed we just mentioned, that is huge. Uh, another guy I have on this list, John Brown with the Bills, that's an offense that you know they're not going to score a ton but i mean he's only earned owned in 35.3 percent of espn leagues if you need a wide receiver it does seem like john brown is someone who has disappointed fantasy owners in the past but he also has that speed to be able to to score we saw that uh against the jets so those are a couple guys and then john ross who we mentioned earlier i mean if if they use him the way they used him against the seahawks John Ross at 4.8% ownership in fantasy leagues right now. All three of those guys are certainly possible options. And, and honestly, I would probably look at, at all of them and say, if you if you have someone, a wide receiver, that just completely flamed out in week one, and you're looking at it and saying, hey, that guy was a late draft pick. I didn't really care. You know, He's not someone I see having high upside. You can at least entertain these three guys right here. Yeah, I think with the Ravens and Browns, or sorry, Ravens and Bills, it's a similar kind of situation with two teams that are going to run the ball a lot, that are physical, and are going to draw a lot of guys in the box. And then they have these deep options like John Brown and Marquise Brown, who are going to take, you know, be a kind of their way to set the tone and like let as soon as they get the everyone kind of creeping in far enough they're going to hit that shot and as long as you know Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson not traditionally thought of as the the most accurate deep throwers but Lamar Jackson was on the money every single time I I don't care how open these guys were he was throwing pinpoint balls down the field which is great to see I think Marquise Brown's role is going to stay similar all year I think overall the Raven receivers are probably something you should look at I think Willie Sneed's got somewhere under three percent ownage rate and he's going to be another uh, option for them that's maybe kind of that Michael Crabtree role from a year ago so I, th- I think the Baltimore receivers Bill receivers these are guys that are not really being owned because we don't think of these teams as throwing the ball as much but we we saw what the Ravens did and I think even with the Bills they're going to play defenses that aren't as good as the Jets and you're going to see John Brown make a difference and yeah John Ross <laughs> fan, uh, fantasy owners maybe they've just grown tired and they don't want to deal with it but if, if he has this role we'll see over the course of the season obviously but Cincinnati with Zach Taylor you know this is a guy that maybe is going to have uh, kind of in this new offense a more defined role that really utilizes his talent and what he's able to do staying on the field has been an issue for him but there I don't even when they get AJ, AJ Green back you're going to have AJ Green and Tyler Boyd on the outside you're still going to have John Ross running you know some of these routes over the middle of the field and uh, you know kind of 
little different thing is a little more unique packages where he kind of feels you know a lot different looking player than Cooper Cup in terms of his overall size and speed but still someone a guy that you know he can kind of be factored in with the scheme that Zach Taylor is trying to do to really get these opportunities and when he gets the ball in his hands he's obviously quite explosive so uh, yeah, if you have the room for an option, I, I think Marquise Brown for me would have to be the top one just because he's not going to put up you know these numbers every week, but I still think he's going to be the kind of guy that no matter how many targets he gets, they're all a lot of them are going to be deeper down the field ones that are going to be chunk plays for you in fantasy. So all great options though, a lot of a lot of intriguing things. No matter how deep your league is, there's always someone waiting for you to get picked up and improve your team. Yep, Mar- Malcolm Brown, Marquise Brown, and John Ross are the three guys I would prioritize just in terms of. Uh, their potential uh, like I said everyone else I could probably look at and say hey if I need them great if I have a spot great if not uh, you don't have to be overly concerned about it Uh, but those three guys in particular I think uh, certainly need to keep an eye on here in this uh, particular week uh, as potential waiver wire options so all right, Dylan, that'll wrap it up. Uh, running through week one here, uh, certainly we've still got a couple games like we haven't even talked about yet, and those two uh, should be entertaining in their own right uh, with the Texans and the Saints and the Broncos and the Raiders. We'll talk more about them on our next episode. Uh, but before we do that, let's uh, let everybody know where they can find all our stuff here as we have got a ton of stuff going up NFL-wise at Clutch mm-hmm. Points now with the season underway. You can find the Establish the Past podcast on iTunes, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, pretty much any uh, you know podcast outlet you use if you're listening to us. We appreciate it. Any reviews, subs- subscriptions, all that's all great. For, yeah, for our NFL content, as Blake mentioned, he'll have his waiver wire pickups article with all these more in-depth analysis of all these guys coming up tomorrow morning. And it's going to be every Tuesday morning or Tuesday midday. So look for those as you're trying to make your additions to your teams. And then overall, all of our NFL content on ClutchPoints.com, the ClutchPoints app. Just search in, go to the NFL section on the app or on the site. Just go to the NFL tab, and all of our news is there. Just search fantasy football. You get all our fantasy football articles. We'll do, we do a lot more breakdowns of guys from this week, more outlooks for players next week, and some of the more uh, promising plays if you're just looking to plug a guy in for maybe one game here and there. Uh, we don't have bye weeks yet, but there's still a lot of guys that are going to have promising matchups. As as Blake mentioned, anyone that's facing the Dolphins, go after them right now. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be hard pickings with the Patriots, but I don't care. Get get Jacoby Myers, whoever it is, whoever you can get. Get Jared uh, yeah. Stidham if you have to. Like, there go get go. Jared Stidham. Like, Brady's going to play a quarter, and then Jared Stidham's going to play the rest of the game. Maybe a defender will come in for a pass play. Who knows? Just <laughs> get, get them involved. So, yeah, no. Uh, appreciate all the cover, all the uh, fans and everyone reading and listening. So, yeah, a lot of great things. We're only getting started right here. Yeah, we're sorry for alienating the entire Miami zip code. But uh, you know what? It's uh, You guys know they if you're a Dolphins fan, you, you understand. <laughs> trust me. You, you already know what to expect this season. So we're not telling you anything you don't already know. We got lots of great stuff going up at clutchpoints.com. Check all that out. And uh, we'll be back uh, in our ne- next episode to preview week two which uh, does uh, as well offer some uh, really fun matchups we'll be back here on the establish the past podcast